Right, welcome to episode three of Billy Graham's Boxing Podcast. I'm John Evans and I'm joined by uh, Magnum PI, Billy Graham, <laughs> in his tiger-themed safari suit. I like tigers, for that one. <laughs> yeah, if, if you're listening to this and not watching it, uh, I suggest going on to a VIP YouTube channel and having a look at Billy's outfit. I, how would you describe it for people who are listening, Billy? Well, it's nice and comfortable with full of tigers on it. Um, it's okay. I might go to Hawaii shortly. I don't know. <laughs> it's good. How are you anyway? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks. Lots of work going on here, Billy. It looks... Uh, yeah, it's going to be great when it's finished. Got a, a new pond being built behind us. There's a little digger. It's looking a bit like Jurassic Park by the time you finish, you reckon, don't you? Yeah, it's going to be great. It's going to yeah, it's look a bit pretty It matches with the cliff face, do you know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, it's going to be fantastic. It's nowhere, it's nowhere, not for nowhere near finished yet. And, but uh, this time, this time next year, it'll be great. This time next spring, you know. Oh, it's looking the part, it's looking the part. Boxing-wise, Billy, I was watching um, this video going round of Javonta Davis sparring. Uh, lots of people get fed up about sparring videos and sparring stories being shared, but not bothered about that. I, I think the sad thing is we're talking about Javonta Davis sparring rather than what he's doing in the ring. Well, I think Javonta Davis is um, a great fighter. You know what I mean? I've got no no complaints about him as a fighter. He's really explosive. He's really dangerous. Um, I just um, I'm just a bit shocked at why they're not chasing Lomachenko. It's not like he's a young guy. I know he's only young. Yeah. But he's a guy coming up. Um, he's he's already going to fight a world champion um, as it goes today. So I'm I'm just wondering why he's not chasing Lomachenko because um, Lomachenko is the man to beat, yeah. you know, he's just that, the, Lomachenko is unbelievable, um, so I would expect him to be chasing Lomachenko, but he's not, um, and I find that a bit astounding, you know what I mean, it, it wouldn't matter if he, got, if he lost to him, and to be honest with you, he has, he's in there with a shout, because of his firepower, and how explosive he is, because you've got to knock Lomachenko out, yeah. Do you know what I mean? And I read a I read an article called The Chosen One about Shaq Stevenson, and um, who's got a version who's got a version of the world title, and they're talking about him like, and he's a great fighter. I think I know he's a very very good fighter. Um, I've, you know that's for sure. But he's talking about yeah, I'll fight Lomachenko. It's going to be a super fight. I'll fight Lomachenko in five years. For fuck's sake, he'd be ancient yeah. for the fighter. What, what do you think, it, why do you think this is happening? You know, a lot of these young, promising fighters, you know, you've got Javonta Davis, Shakur Stevenson, there's Devin Haney, there's yeah, Ryan Garcia. They talk about fighting each other, but none of them seem to have really set the targets on Lomachenko. What we've got to do, we've got to say, Teofimo Lopez, the Mexican guy, he's run headlong towards Lomachenko, so we can excuse him. Oh, yeah, but, absolutely. But why do you think a lot of these guys... Talk about each other, but not about taking on the, the man the best. Well, I think it's because he's scared of him. I mean, look, you've got to wait. You've got to wait for your right time. You've got to wait for your right time. But when um, you've got when you when you when you've got a version of the world title and you're making good money, I I, I think that um, I, I think you should be chasing the guy who's gonna go down as one of the best fighters who've ever lived, yeah. pound for pound, and to have the opportunity to fight him. Look, Corolla took the chance. There's plenty who took the chance. And let's face it, in reality, 
certainly, if you go back, Lomachenko was not even a lightweight. No. I, was, I mean, I was, Luke, Luke Campbell, who's a good fighter, trust me, he's a, he's, a, he's a great fighter. Do you know what I mean? But did you see the difference in size of him and Lomachenko? Yeah. So they've all got size on this guy. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But nobody seems to want to fight him. Well, like I said, Steve's, um, he wants to fight him. Um, but I just think that, you know, no one's going to, they're not going to, they're not going to be written off cause, just because Lomachenko beats him. And Lomachenko's no spring chicken as he is. No. Do you know what I mean? Um, so I'm just pretty astounded. You keep people, you, you, I understand keeping people back. Yeah, well, I was going to say, when, you, when you've got a promising fighter coming through, it's about navigating your way, isn't it? You, mm. The right fights get chosen at the right times, the right opponent. Yeah, of course. Someone might be on the way down until you get to that title. But when you get to that title, shouldn't your emphasis change on remaining unbeaten and you should just take re realign your aims and go for the main man go for the go, go for the main man we could have um i mean ricky could have sat sat back and waited for costa zoo to slide more you know before he made any attempts of becoming the undisputed champion but um like we was massive underdogs um nobody thought we had a prayer um but you couldn't miss out on that chance for that kind of glory yeah you know what i mean so as soon as he, as soon as he, um, what he did with what he did with Taki and Ray Oliveira, I said now has got a bit of time. It's got to be now. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and and it's cost of zoo. I know that people say he was past his best, but he just he's just had done two of his finest victories. You know what I mean? And um, he, he was looking devastating. It was you. You got the American fight reporters. You went over to watch him fight Sean Bay Mitchell, didn't you? That's right. And you gathered the American fight fight writers around you and said, I, "Do you all agree he's at his best now?" I got I got them all. I got them all. All of them. Um, I, I was just outside waiting for my driver to pick me up, and they was all there. And I said, "What?" Did, oh, and one of them, I don't know which one it was, they was insinuating that it was that we was ducking Costa Zoo, and. Well, I told him straight, I said, you've got to be joking. I said, everybody else is ducking Costa Zoo. Everybody else in the camp is ducking Costa Zoo. But me and Ricky, what we, we want Costa Zoo. And I just happened to say to him, I said, let me ask you something. I said, what did Costa Zoo look like tonight? Did he look as good as he's ever looked? Yeah. The other said, yeah, he was devastating. I said, was he as good as he's ever looked? And he says, yeah. I says, right. Well, when we, when we beat him, don't say he was fucking past it. Right, so I, I want you to keep that trainer's hat on now. Imagine you're in the corner with Javonte Davis or Devin Haney or Ryan Garcia, someone like that. Lomachenko is he's not a lightweight. You know, look at the trouble Linares gave him. Luke Campbell yeah. gave him a Linares fight. Looked, Linares is a great fighter as well. Yeah. And he looks absolutely huge compared to compared Lomachenko. To he's not fought for a year. He's 30-odd and you've got a very skilled dangerous young fighter like a Javante, like a Devin Haney, surely that would get your juices flowing. You'd be running headlong oh, towards yeah, that, it, you, wouldn't you? you? It would be unbelievable. To, the, the man who beats Lomachenko yeah. is going to get so much credit if, if they beat him as he is now, you know what I mean? They're going to get so much credit. So why not take, why don't take the gamble? Because what a scalp, do you know what I mean? The scalp has to be worth the risk. And I, I, I've avoided fighters on the way up and stuff like that, of course, because that's what you've got to do if you're looking after your fighter. You know what I mean? So I understand that kind of logic, but um, I think that they, they should be... I can understand the management 
I can definitely understand that. I know boxing is a business. But, but, if two but what I mean is, what I mean is, they, they, them fighters themselves, if they want to be, if they want to be the man and go down in history and that, they should take. They they should be. They should be chasing Lomachenko. Yeah, they should if, be chasing him. If two fighters make enough noise between each other, a fight gets made, doesn't it? Of course, I think it's probably the management, and the promoters who keep who keep them apart. But you know, I would hate it, and I won't give anybody credit. If they beat Lamanchenko when he's past it, yeah. and they want to face him when he's past it, like Shaka Stevenson was talking about how confident he was and how great he thinks he is and all that, lot. but then says five years, five years, fuck off. <laughs> Something an another little side to this, and I'll get you go up. Do you think by these? And then you know what? You know what? The same thing happened to Golovkin. I was going to say, do you think these young talented fighters not taking the chance and not testing out these great fighters? It prevents us seeing fighters like Lomachenko and Golovkin at the best. Look at Cassius Clay chasing Sonny Liston. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? He was 21 years old when he was chasing Sonny Liston. 22 years old, just about. Ray Leonard ran fight. straight at Thomas Hearns and Hearns ran at Leonard. That's right. Do you know what I mean? And, and um, I, have, I definitely agree with keeping fighters apart till it gets bigger and all a lot, lot. But anybody who fights Lomachenko now is massive. But the same thing happened with, happened with Golovkin. Canelo is going to is going to be an is a love, you know what I mean, and he's definitely an all time great. He's going to go down in the Hall of Fame. The management made the right decisions. I didn't. I'm not. I'm not daft. And all boxing works, but uh, I just think it was uh, Travis there, the way Golovkin was kept out of these big fights for years, and he was taking less money than his his, his opponents. You know what I mean? He was the best fighter to watch in the world on the planet. Do you know what I mean? I'm one of the best middleweights who's ever lived, and he's a natural middleweight as well. If it would have been the same, if he would have been back in the day, he'd have still he'd have fought middleweight, and none of them would fight him till they've seen signs of slippage. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I can understand the promoters doing it, but the fighters, no. I mean, let's look. Macklin stepped up to the plate. Do you know what I mean? Did the few of them that did, but he'd been avoided for years before that, and um, I, I don't, so the. Nobody wanted to take him on who's at his best. Nobody wants to take Lomachenko. Well, these, these, these young champions don't want to take Lomachenko now while he's still on fire. Yeah. Do you think that... I, don't, I know... And, UFC, and Lomachenko wants to fight everybody. And Golovkin wanted to fight everybody. I know UFC is popular and you can have UFC guys headlining cards who've lost 15 fights. It doesn't matter. Mm. Do you think that that unbeaten record is still... The most important thing in boxing, Billy. He's, he's... I, th I think it, it's always it's always been something what people are going about. Um, not way back, not way back in the forties and thirties and fifties and that. They, no, don't they all, all the great fighters lost? Do you know what I mean? I think it was something what come about in the seventies, and I think it started because this, you got for the first time in the, for, for the first time in history you had two unbeaten fighters like Joe Frazier and Muhammad Ali. We were both unbeaten fight for the heavyweight championship in the world. And that, look, I've lived through loads of eras, right? That was the biggest fight. That was the biggest fight ever. Yeah. That, that, that took, that attracted more attention than any other fight was been on the planet. Because them two was unbeaten. I think that's how it kind of was in the 70s, but now it's gone back to reality. And no one really cares. Fighters lose fighters. Athletes lose races. Doesn't mean that they don't, it doesn't mean that then they don't go on in the future and become gold medalists. Yeah. But, but the fight is not allowed to lose a fight. Jesus. I and I don't so I think people understand now. So, 
Anyway, I want to see it. Yeah, we're basically saying, <laughs> I want to see him. Once these guys, I'm a fan now. I'm a fan now, so I just want to see, see it. Him. Once you've accomplished your dreams, once you've got that world title, once, once you've you got a few quid, got a few quid in the bank, which these guys have. Yeah. Go for the glory. You know, the, the glory is what yeah. you remembered for. The glory when you're laying, when you sat in your mansion, you won't care whether you've got five million or ten million in the bank. That five million, you can't spend it anyway. Can That's you? right. But the glory's there forever. It's the glory. Yeah. Yeah. You've got us. You've got us still. You've got to still fight for glory. Now, I know you fight for money, obviously, but you've got to still fight for glory because if you're not fighting for glory, you're going to quit yeah. when it gets rough. You're gonna, when, it get, when it gets really rough, do you, know, you know what I mean? Um, you're just going to think, fuck this. I've got, I've just got my money. But when you're fighting for glory, that's different. Yeah, glory's forever, isn't it? You can spend money, you can't spend your glory. No. And that's what people remember you for. That's why they love people like Thomas Hearns. Hey, Billy, I want you to tell me what Carl Thompson means to you. Oh, Carl Thompson. Carl, Tom Carl Thompson and the other Champs Camp fighters, they um, made me, you know what I mean? Um, it's not like the fact that I just inherited them from Phil. I was working with them guys for a couple of years, doing all the pad work and taking them sprinting in the mornings. I, was I did all the pad work for all the Champs Camp guys for the last couple of years. And um, so it wasn't like I just inherited these fighters. But it's still, the gods of the truth, that they actually made, they actually made me. And, um, and Carl was obviously um, the, biggest, the biggest name yeah. at the time. He, he, when when um, we left Champs Camp, Carl was the European champion, you know. Um, that was my first fight on my own with Carl as a chief second. Even though I'd been in the corner for plenty of his fights and that, you know. Um, so... He was um, probably the main one, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, we've been in a lot of fights together, all over Europe and that, you know. Um, we'd fought for a world title before and that, you know. And No, he's, he's, he's huge, he's a huge part of my career. A, a, a little, just before we get on to what we're going to talk about in this little bit, there's a, a little story that I think sums up, Carl. People who've watched him... Watch these fights. One of the most exciting, maybe the, the most exciting British fight of the last 20 years, I think. Well, there's... Um, He's up there, isn't he? Well, oh, God. I mean, I think a mate of mine, Steve Lewis, once said, and he said it years ago as well, he said he's the most exciting fighter in Britain's had for 40 years. Yeah. He's, and he's, and, and, and I, I couldn't dispute and that. And a big, imposing guy. But a fight very early on in his career when you were at Champs Camp and... Um, for some insane reason, Nicky Piper's team approached Carl to have a fight on short notice. Yeah. And you were all 100% sure, but Carl being Carl took a bit of persuading. And I think that little story sums up Carl, that he was such a, a big, aggressive, powerful, dangerous guy, but you had to coax him, coax him through things a little bit. Look, Carl, Carl, Carl was a top-class um, kickboxer. Yeah. You know, I think he's fought for the world title at kickboxing, but it's a different sport. And um, I know Carl says he was always had the self-belief, you know, but he ended up having that self-belief, do you know what I mean? But I don't think he really did at the time. And I think it's the only time I ever tried to persuade a fighter to fight. Um, I, 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 I arrived at Champs Camp this morning, Phil Martin shouted me in the office. I said, they've offered, they, they've offered um, Carl to fight with Nicky Piper. I think it was only a few days away, you know, like a week away. I don't think it was... 
no more notice than a few days away. Do you know what I mean? And I went, are they fucking crazy? Do you know what I mean? Um, and I knew how good Nicky Piper was. Nicky Piper was knocking everybody out and a lot of them in the first round. Yeah. He had Morris Core on the floor. Morris Core, I think, think Morris Core drew with him. Um, and I went, are they insane? I said, what, what are they trying to make him make weight? He says, no, he said, he can, go as, he can come as he is. Now, Carl, as all the champs got fight as well, was always in shape. And he said, so what do you think? I said, I said, he's too big, he's too powerful, Nicky Piper. I said, I can't believe they, they, they wanted it. And I went down and I went, and Carl was on the treadmill. And um, I don't know whether Carl can remember, I don't know. But Carl was on the treadmill, I went, Carl, I'm telling you now, do you know what I mean? You must take this, I didn't say you must take this fight, I just said that you're way too powerful for him, you'll blast him out, do you know what I mean? And he was, got, and he was umming and ahhing a little bit and all that lot, you know, but then he had it and then... He knocked him out? Yeah, yeah. Well, of course. Yeah. Of course, what was he thinking of? Nicky, I'm Nicky Papa was a television fighter, and a television fighter, tip for tip for stardom and that. And I like Nicky Papa. Nicky Papa's a friend of mine. You know what I mean? We boxed on, boxed on the same bill and that. You know, um, Nick, Nick, been in the studios with him. So Nicky Papa's a great guy, um, but I don't know what they was thinking of. But that that sort of sums it up. And you, you and Carl went all around Europe together. Long talks him to to get him through fights and he was so brave and strong, oh, became God. a world champion in Germany, but you yeah. still haven't really broke through, had you? You know, you still, purses weren't big and then your phone rings, Billy, and all of a sudden you get told you're defending the world cruiserweight title against a, a certain Mr. Chris Eubank. Well, the, pers the purses weren't big and there wasn't even reporters following us around, English reporters following us around Europe. I, th I don't know how come they overlooked someone as, as exciting as him. You know, it, look, he's as excited as Nigel Benn. Do you know what I mean? And Nigel Ben, you know what, how, what, how the crowd got to him. Carl Thompson was the same kind of thing. So I couldn't, for the life of me, um, wonder why he wasn't a big star. Because that's, that's how good he was. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But uh, what did you ask me? Well, as I say, it must have felt like Christmas when, when you two, who'd been going around without any attention, just suddenly get told you're fighting Chris Eubank on a Nassim Hamed undercard at the MEN Arena. Did that phone call come out of the blue? Was it rumoured? Was it? No, was I, it? I just walked into the gym one day. I'm sure it wasn't. I'm sure they hadn't phoned me. I think they phoned Carl, and Carl just came into the gym one day and he says they've offered me the Chris Eubanks fight. On oh, Chris Eubanks, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Moving up to moving up to Cruiserweight. I said really, and I went, I went wow, yeah, well, you got you got to take it. It says, you know, wow. Look, I've watched Chris Eubanks for years. I've watched his full career, you know what I mean? And, um, but, the, but, the, but this thing, what the point, what I do want to make is I said to him, because I, look, I've been around Chris Eubanks, you know what I mean? I've seen how big he was, that's various things that I've met him, um, when he went on the weight and all that lot, and I knew how big he was. And Chris Eubanks, when he was a middle, I don't know, Chris Eubanks has got an incredible constitution, I don't know, and, and um, willpower, you know what I mean? How we made them weights for them fights, I'll never know. Yeah, you knew Ronnie Davis. I, I've even, heard even, rumours about him sucking frozen grapes for days. And Listen, I, I had a good, a good conversation with Ronnie Davis one night. We stayed up. Just me, me, Ronnie, Iona, staying in, staying in the same little hotel, which is a pub with a friend of mine, Les Sims, owned. And um, we've set up, just us three, watching a Mike Tyson fight. 
So we thought, as we're waiting, we're talking about Chris, do you know what I mean? And he told me what he had to do to make the weight in that. So the first thing he says, I said, dog, we'll definitely have the fight. You, you beat him. Because I know Chris Eubank's inside out. Yeah. But I said, but I'm going to tell you something now, Carl. I said, he's going to be better at cruiserweight than he is at super middleweight. Because at super middleweight and middleweight, if you notice Chris, Chris was a really skillful fighter. Chris, Chris was a great all-rounder. Um, he'd work in flurries. He'd open up, throw big, massive, you know, clever shots and all that lot. Then he'd have to go for a walk. Yeah. He always had to go for a walk. And that was because he was fighting at the wrong weight. Do you know what I mean? Um, and these are the days when cruiserweight was 190 pound. Like these days, it's 200 yes. pounds. Yeah, that's So right. when you think about it like that, yeah, it, maybe like you know, heavyweight yeah. would have been his ideal like, division, but cruiserweight wasn't. That's right. Too far away from his walking round no, weight. No, it wasn't. He walked round heavier than that. It, it took him three attempts to make the weight for the second fight, if I remember rightly. Um, so I saw it, and I, and I, really, I really believe that. I said, he will be a better fighter. And that's how it turned out. Look, Chris Eubanks lost them two fights. Yeah. He fought better in them two fights than ever I've seen him fight. Now, the physical challenge of fighting Eubanks, one thing, but Carl being as Carl was, very quiet guy, you're not just fighting Eubank physically, are you? You've got the whole road show he brings around him. You've got the character he puts on, the, the things he says, the way he acts. How did Carl react around that? Did did that, in some ways, pose him more challenges in the build-up than the, the actual fight itself? No, because at that, uh, at that time, Carl really did have self-belief. He right. really did have massive self-belief. Carl was not afraid of anybody. Yeah. At that stage of the game, he wasn't afraid. That paper type of thing was years ago. Do you know what I mean? At that time, he was a real battle-hardened fighter. Do you know what I mean? Um, but Carl doesn't disrespect anybody. Um, he doesn't badmouth anybody. He's a nice, easy-going guy. Um, so I knew there was going to be loads of shit from Chris, obviously. But what he did do, it upset Carl and embarrassed him. It, Chris could be very embarrassing, embarrassing at times, you know what I mean? Well, it, um, but if he was trying to put any fear into Carl, and I was really confident about winning the fight, absolutely confident, 100% confident, um, if he thought he was going to put any fear into Carl, he was pissing in, in the wind. Do you know what I mean? Had the opposite effect. It, the second one was worse. Um, but yeah, it, it had the opposite effect. It, it, but it was kind of embarrassing. Do you, you know what I mean? And um, So Carl, Carl disliked him because of it. Um, you know, look, Carl can't beat Chris Eubanks with words. You know, but if if Chris Eubanks thought he was going, he was putting any fear into Carl Thompson. Wow, <laughs> not a prayer, no, no. It, it, it and Carl was extremely confident he'd win the fight as well. It was an hell of a fight, wasn't it? You know, um, how one of the worst fights I've ever been involved in. How soon into the first round did you realise that? Like, if we go back to episode one, you talked about sometimes a fight runs away from you. You know, mm. it's ignited and it's gone before you you even know what's happened really. Was this one of those fights, or did you always? Was this a fight where you felt, although it was horrible and vicious, you always felt like you were in control and you you could control? What I I always knew that that I always I was confident throughout the fight that Carl was still that Carl was, was still going to win, you know, because it, um, even though I know that Chris Udonks had a lot more in the tank at the heavier weight, 
I just knew what I knew what Carl had in the tank. You know what I mean? Um, so, but it was um, there were some rocky times in that fight. You know, yeah. I mean, Carl got, um, got dropped. Yeah, Carl got dropped. Um, I, I think, I think the only thing what Carl didn't maybe got took him by surprise. He didn't take me by surprise, but I think we took Carl by surprise how hard Chris could hit. Do you know what I mean? And Carl, Carl's known as one of the most durable fighters ever. Do you know what I mean? And one of the, most, the bravest fighters ever. But funnily enough, he'd short circuit on many occasions. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. He'd get rocked and he'd... And sometimes he wasn't the best balanced. Do you know what I mean? And he got caught off balance a few times off Chris. And um, I know Carl might disagree with you, but Carl did get rocked in that fight, in that first fight. He got rocked a few times. You know what I mean? But... Um, his recuperative powers are unbelievable and his courage is, is you know... Unquestionable. There's a couple un of times in the first fight where the commentators sort of wondered whether... I was there, so I've only watched it on TV I for the last I few years. I wish I was But he was wondering, because the way Cal reacted to a couple of shots, it looked like he was playing possum and maybe playing up, but you think it was a little bit of both? He was actually Cal does, and Cal, playing Cal does, yeah, Cal, Cal does do that. Yeah, they used to drive me crazy. Yeah. He tried to draw him into that big right hand, do you know what I mean? Because most, most fighters used to run away from Cal. I don't fucking blame him for that, like, you know yeah. what I mean? But he did used to, he did used to play possum, so there was, there was a bit of both, but he certainly got rocked. Yeah. But, Sorry, Cal. Yeah, you could tell from... from I got rocked. You got <laughs> rocked watching it. Yeah. From the midway point, Cal's... Eubank, he doesn't get rocks as much in the second half of a fight as the first half. It's um, Eubank's eye gets busted. He's settled into it a little settled bit. Settled into it a little bit. Eubank's eye is horrendous, isn't it? Mm. Um, if you've seen the photographs of it, it, how we fought for the last five or six rounds with that, I've got no idea. Because Chris Eubanks has definitely got, and it, I'm not using the word lightly, indomitable courage. Yeah. He's the, one of the bravest men I've ever met. Do you know what I mean? Um, often after a brutal fight, I'd have headaches. Do you know what I mean? I'd have headaches. I'd obviously lose my voice, but I'd, I'd get headache. But for that fight, I had a headache and I had stomachache. Do you know what I mean? It was absolutely horrendous. Beautiful, but absolutely horrendous. Do you know what I mean? Did, were you always confident Carl was winning? Because oh, yeah. it was very, very close on the cards, wasn't it? You know, Carl won a unanimous decision, but. The, the scorecards were yeah, close. Yeah, because they, they had to, because it was, because it was obvious that, obviously, obviously that it shouldn't have been that close, but it was pretty close, but not that, it shouldn't have been, it shouldn't have been that, that close, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, but you know, you, you'd always worry, because Chris was a, a really commercial fighter, he was a superstar, but in actual fact, Carl Thompson did, Carl Thompson did Chris Eubanks a huge favour, yeah. because I, I remember seeing the picture, not on the back pages, on the front page of the News of the World, about him actually picking him up, helping him up from the corner to go out, do you know what I mean, again. And his face was a mess. And don't forget, I'm really close, and I made him punches slamming in, do you know what I mean? So how he must have felt is ridiculous. So Chris Eubanks, even though he was a superstar in Britain, right, he was the man you love to hate. But after he showed that much courage against Carl Thompson, everybody loved him. Loved him, yeah. The momentum built built behind him, didn't it? Yeah, as the they fight loved went him. On. They loved him. And another. That's it, what made the. That's what made the public love Chris Eubanks. Yeah, I was going to say, if asking for Nicky Piper on 
giving well asking Nicky Piper to face Carl Thompson on short notice was insane. Asking Chris Eubanks to fight a rematch with Carl Thompson three months to the day after that horrendous first fight that rivals it, doesn't it? Carl still had uh, Chris still had the black eye from the first that, fight. Look that I, I, that I I actually because that's okay. Well, let me answer the first question. Um, normally, I wouldn't have wanted to fight that soon for Carl, right? Um, but the fact the fact about offering us that fight for that length of time, I thought for one, the eye isn't going to heal, yeah. and I said for two, he needs at least three months off. Do you know what I mean? I want to put him in. I want to brought him in the gym. How, how soon after the first fight did we approach you? Pretty soon. Pretty, You're talking yeah. a couple of weeks. Well, it had to, yeah, of course it had to be soon, wasn't it, for me to? And I thought, what are you, what are you thinking of? What are you thinking of? The guy needs rest. Do you know what I mean? And um, and I and I knew that, and I thought that that eye. Do you know what I mean? I, I thought, oh, definitely a few when the, when the fight got announced on that. I still seen he had a mark on his eye. I said, so I said to Carl, he's still got a mark on his eye. I said, so his cheekbone must have been broke. Do you know what I mean? Um, I said, that eye's going to go, but we didn't want to win, but we didn't want to win like that. Trust me, we didn't want to win like that. Um, and I thought, what are they doing? And then when I heard how they was, how they was training, he'd gone off to some training camp and you all saw, that. You, spy, you had spies everywhere. Yeah, of course he had spies everywhere. I don't know everything what was fucking going on. And um, I heard that how hard he was training and what he was doing and all that. And I thought, what the fuck? I was licking my lips. Do you know what I mean? How, how did you train him for the second fight compared to the first fight? Because I think the second fight's even worse than the first fight, violence-wise. Because you, you what, both knew what to expect. That's so it, it. How did your training differ for the second one? Well, to be honest with you, look, I told you, all, all, my, all, all, all them guys from Champs Camp that, we used to just train all the time. You'd have a little bit of a rest after the fight and that, you know, but just used to take it as a day job, you know, and we trained all the time. Carl was never out of shape. So my training camp, while, while they was killing Chris in their training camp, my training camp was just very nice and gentle. I think the only sparring he did was a little bit of moving around with Enzo Bingham, who was the British light middleweight champion. Peter Patton around. Because I, I just wound Carl down. He, 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 obviously, he obviously had a bit of a rest after the fight because it was grueling for Carl, but nowhere near as grueling it was for Chris. You know, he was a hard fight for Carl, but not really was a hard fight for Carl, but not like it was for Chris. So I just, I, I just thought, what are they doing? What are they doing? I, I was licking my lips. You know what I mean? Um, I knew that Chris needed a long rest before he was thinking about get, getting in the ring. Um, just take the eye out of the equation, but I mean, just how brutal that fight was for him. Um, and he, I knew he needed a long rest, and, and I heard he wasn't getting it. And you, you came up with a perfect battle plan the we, second time we, around, didn't you? We just had a real gentle camp. He, he's not, Carl's not going to lose his fitness after a couple of weeks out of the gym. You know me? So it was just me and him on the body belt. And then there's a few things we had to, we had to we had to tighten up. Were you concerned that he'd been able to be hurt by Eubank? No, because I've seen Carl hurt loads of times. I know he doesn't like to admit it, but I've seen Carl hurt loads of times um, and just come back. His, his recuperative powers was 
unbelievable. And like I say, his courage. Yeah. Carl had a really slow heartbeat. We was in a fight in Europe once. Um, can't remember which one. The doctors thought there was something wrong with him. Sort of, do you know what I mean? Because his heartbeat was so, his resting heartbeat was so slow. Yeah. Me? But that's why he's got loads of stamina and yeah. loads of recovery powers and that. Um, he's got, he had a, he had a fantastic action. Fantastic engine, you know. So we just had a, we just had a gentle camp and um, and look, the first time I think I think he might have shot Carl a little bit with his punching power, you know, you know because he'd moved up. Even though I did warn him, you know, but um, the second time he knew exactly what to do. We concentrated on um, a bit more body shots, um, specifically. Got in that middle, you know. Um, Eubank didn't like that, did he? He hated it. He gave him the dirtiest look I've ever. And Chris Eubank is fantastic at giving dirty looks. At one, at one point, and it was near my car, and it, it was grueling, you know what I mean? And um, he got him a few to the pit of the stomach, and I kept saying, middle, middle. Obviously, Carl knew what that meant, you know what I mean? Chris Eubank looks over to me in a car and just giving the dirtiest look. <laughs> you know. But um, Carl was absolutely fantastic in the second fight. He'd been in there with Chris then. He knew, he knew, he knew, what, he knew what Chris was, because he'd been in there in a gruelling fight with him over 12 rounds. So he knew exactly what he did wrong and how he could put it right. And we, we knew that, look, the tactics, they, the tactics they used to come and try and knock Carl out, I knew they was going to do that. Because if I had Chris Eupanks, that's what I would have done. He knew he couldn't win a long fight. No, I knew he couldn't win a long one, right? And I knew that Carl would improve from the first one. I knew quite well Carl was improved. Carl knew what Chris Eubox was about then, you know what I mean? Um, so I thought, I knew that's what he was going to do. Because that's what I'd have done. If I had Chris Eubox, I'd say, listen, you've got to do him. You've got, you've got to knock him out. Because that's the only fucking chance you've got to win him. So I knew exactly what they was going to do. So Carl was prepared for that. And um, we'd also sort of rehearsed it, and Carl was refreshed, are you me? And um, we sort of rehearsed it, and said, listen, he's going to come out, he's going to come out fast, and we'll try and knock you out on that. So Carl was prepared for that then, do you know what I mean? I think the first time we thought Chris was just going to run, you know what I mean? Um, and go for a rest and all that lot, but I knew that wasn't going to be the case. But this time, he was proper, proper prepared, and... Um, so we watched, we knew he was going to come and try and knock us out, you know what I mean? So like I said, he was, he was prepared for that and like, let Chris throw, let Chris throw, then answer him back. But take more care, but, but the main thing is, keep him working. Make sure he's fucking working. Which wasn't hard to be honest with you, do you know well, what I mean? Well, when you watch the two fights back, what do you think watching the second one? For, for me, that that's an horrendous fight to watch. They're both just taking lumps out of each it other. It was brutal because cause he, knew, he knew Carl as well. Um, they was missing less than the, they was missing less yeah. than they did in the first fight because Chris, cause Chris is smart as well, you know what I mean? Um, the, the shots, what they've done, it was clean. The body shots, what he was hitting him with. The first fight was more dramatic, but the second fight was more brutal. Yeah. Um, if you got a good eye, you know what I mean? Because well, the first one was more dramatic, but I knew he couldn't. I knew he couldn't keep. He, he, I knew that Chris couldn't couldn't keep this up. So we was holding a little bit back. 
And I'd say to Carl in the corner, we'd already, we'd already rehearsed it in the gym, do you know what I mean? And I told him, if he gets tagged, just take him for a walk. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Just clutch him and take him for a walk. But he didn't really get rocked in that, in that second fight because he'd learned so much from the first one. Um, so he, he was behind on the cards. He was behind on the cards. But, midway, but you weren't panicking this time. You, you... No, I didn't, I, I didn't know he was behind on the cards, but I, know that, I, but I knew that if it was um, close, that they'd get the decision because Chris was more commercial, yeah. especially after that heroic stand in the first fight. But um, no, the second fight was going absolutely, completely to pan. The eye had blown up as you predicted. The, yeah, but we didn't want to win like that. We didn't want to win like that. Um, they, and we, we, they, they, we was going to knock Chris out that night. That's, that was the plan, we was going to knock him out. So, Kyle, like I say, he's got an incredible engine. So I'd ask Kyle between every round, and he, and he told me, so he's got to tell me the truth. How does he feel? How does he feel? He went, still strong. Still strong. I went, okay. Just keep, just keep him working. Just keep him working. Next round, how does he feel? Still strong. Um, as, it, as it was getting close, as it was getting closer, stop, stop. End of the ninth, yeah. End of the ninth, yeah. So when we get into about six, he went, I think it was probably about six, he went, no, he's, he's, um, he's weakening. He's weakening. I could tell myself. I just want to know if he can tell, because yeah. he knows better than me, because he's in there. Um, but I know what I'm looking at, and um, then he's going, no, he's slow. Then the next, he's, he, no, he's becoming, he's weaker, he's weaker, he's slowing down. So the time when they pulled him out, which that was the that was the good thing, that was the right thing to do. Do you know what I mean? Um, we was just about to tighten the screws. Got, it's, Carl had been cruising in that second fight, do you know what I mean? And don't forget, I knew what he had in the tank because he did it all with me. I know what, I know what, what work he was capable of doing. Yeah, because he hadn't been sparring heavily, you'd had him on the body belt, so you knew exactly what he had in the tank. I think he just moved around with Ainsley Bain for a couple of rounds, yeah? We just, we just mostly worked on tactics. And um, we were just, just about to let him off the leash. He was just about to put his foot on the gas. Do you know what I mean? He had loads left. He had Carl had loads left in the tank. Chris had nothing. The only thing he had in the tank was heart. Yeah. You know And you know what? He didn't even want the fight to be stopped. It wasn't, and that wasn't false. He didn't want them to stop that fight. But it's a good job they did because Carl would have done him some real. He could have possibly did it as real. You know, he thought he could have killed him because he had Carl had loads left at that point, and we was just about to. We just went now. We knew he was ready to go. We knew he was ready to go. It helps us because he was blind in one eye. But if he could have seen both out of both eyes, it would have still been the same. And Carl would have finished him without a doubt. Yeah. Are they your proudest moments with Carl? Winning, winning a world title in Germany is a, a massive achievement, isn't it? Yeah, that was my, uh, that was fights a like Akin Tafir and and that, and, that, and that was a split decision. Yeah. In, in Germany, he won nearly every round. And hey, and Roxy is a guy we really admire. He's as tough as nails and very underrated. I underrated him in the first fight, do you know what I mean? But I didn't in the second. Um, what did you say? What did you say? I was going to say, is that your most memorable night with Carl? When you, when you look back on your time with Carl, what's the moment that stands out? 
was there was so many. I mean, the, I mean, the, the first fight on our own, I came to face massive to me. Carl was the Carl's had. It's not like just with the, the nights. The, the nights with him, it's the nights of my career yeah. with Carl. They're, they're, they're some of the best memories, the best memories of my of career. Your, of your whole career. Yeah. Of my whole career with Carl, not just Carl himself, do you know. Um, yeah, probably. Because he, he, Eubank had something about him. He, he, it was, he has that you know X what? factor, doesn't he? I, you know I, it's winning a fight, but it's beating Eubank as well. Well, the fights were so they were so brutal, and that it, it, any fight was brutal. They're 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 actually the worst nights of your career when it's happening. They're the worst nights when it's happening. Do you know what I mean? But they're the ones what you they're the ones what you remember. So the nights with Carl, um, some of the nights with Carl was without a doubt the best nights of my career, and um, yeah, probably because of who it was, and because of how. Uh, because of how fantastic the fights was, I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't just a. It wasn't just a brutal fight, um, like swinging and you know, and it was class. Yeah. It was class. It was beautiful, but re really brutal. So, yeah, they're they're two of the best. They're two of the best nights of my career. But I get a bit pissed off about people thinking that he only lost that fight because it was the damage. Carl didn't want to win like that. Carl was gutted that he was stopped. On that because of that eye, yeah, he's, because he's, Carl knew he was going to knock him out, and he was going to knock him out. And he still had that anger in him, didn't he? You know, they might have respected each other after the first fight, but he still had that anger. Well, because the talking carried on between the two fights. Carl always respects people. I mean, I remember in the first fight he was touching gloves, and it's something what I always say to my fighters. Do you know what I mean? Don't touch gloves during the fight. Do what you want with him after the fight. Kiss him to death. You know what I mean? Because you do the most brute, the more respect you've got. You know what I mean. Um, but I don't. I'm not a fan of people touching gloves in a fight. I'd go. He's not your friend. You know what I mean. Don't. You know he thinks he's trying to be his friend if he's touching gloves. So Carl was doing that in the first fight, but he did do it in the second fight. Because because as he was trying to touch gloves, Chris Eubanks was walking away and not doing it, which is just going to get him madder. You know what I mean. Don't do it, fuck off, he's not your friend till after the fight, you know what I mean? And in the second fight he didn't, you know. When Chris tried to push him um, in the middle, you could see Carl going, don't push me, don't you push me. He was a different beast then. Much better technically, more well balanced, and um, he wanted to knock him out. Yeah. And, did and he we, would have. Did we exchange words afterwards? You remember if there was anything after in the dressing rooms after? Did Chris stick his head in, or did Carl go and see him, or was it just for that no, fight? No, I, 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 I still, I still, I still think that Chris, I still think that Chris thought he was winning the fight, or he could have won the fight, but that eye saved him from a real savage beating because yeah. we was just about to step on the gas. Right, as always in part three, we've got uh, your questions, and they've been flooding in. We've had a. Uh, hundreds of comments and God knows how many questions emailed and sent in, so we're going to get through some of those. Uh, if you want your question read out, it's preacherspod at gmail.com. <clears throat> you can follow us on Twitter, at preacherspod. Um, the VIP YouTube channel, which are filming this, you can go there and leave your questions. And we're now on Boxing Social, so get any questions you've got, 
sent into that and, and we'll read them out. So we've got a few here, Billy. The first one was an email. Whoever it sent in left a name off it for some reason, but um, the child is interested in getting into the world of reptiles. What does Billy recommend I should get them first? Wow. <coughs> That's a bit of a dodgy one. Um... I think be, don't, don't be recommending a 14-year-old walking around the streets, though, boa constrictor around the no, neck like I'd you. No, I certainly won't recommend that. Um, but I, I think I probably would say a snake. Um, for one, you know, they, they don't eat every day. Do you know what I mean? They eat periodically, you know, and it's just like a, a frozen mouse or a frozen chick or something like that, you know. Um, so you don't have to be fed every day. No insects running around the house. They're quite, you've got no insects running around the house now. Till you get used to keeping reptiles and get used to controlling humidity and things like that. I, w I would probably say a snake or possibly a salamander, um, which are really hard and easy to keep. But I, I, I would probably say a snake. Um, I would probably, oh, one thing I will say, which will, which will, not, which will piss a lot of reptile breeders off because it's massively popular now. All these morphs, breeding reptiles just for colour, for different colours and all that lot. It, it's ridiculous. It's um, they look absolutely beautiful. So any kid will be tempted to get that. Uh, for example, if you was going to buy, say you was going to buy a corn snake, you can get all kinds of morphs in corn snakes. Oh, do not buy albinos because there's no way you should breed. No way that you should breed albino in anything. Because being an albino is a fault in nature, so you shouldn't be breeding that. You shouldn't be breeding animals for colour and things. I'd get a, I'd get a snake and I'd get a natural, a natural snake. I'd get a, a, a corn snake, but it's a corn snake. You know what I mean? What corn snakes look like in the wild. Or a king snake, what's a king snake, but it looks like in the wild. Don't be tempted into buying these beautiful, oh, they're, they're absolutely beautiful, what they breed, the things, but no, you don't breed for colour. Staying on the animal theme, it's not so much a question this, Billy, but there was... Because there's faults in them, there's, there's faults, faults in them, yeah. genetic faults. People went mad um, with advertising the show. We put up your comment about um, the parrot. Uh, but rather than me repeat it, I think it sounds better coming from you. So just tell people what the parrot quote is and then uh, just explain what you meant by it. That was just that was just enough to cuff remark when I'd been interviewed off camera. Well, I, did, I thought it was off camera by my mate Steve Lewis. And what it's about is like well, as I always said, boxing is an easy sport to infiltrate, infiltrate. And uh, so what these people do, anybody can become a trainer now because the boxing board want the license fees. So they'll give a training license to anybody because the boxing board are control. The boxing board have no control wants the money, right? Not everybody can be a boxing trainer. Everybody thinks they can be a boxing trainer, but, but not everybody can do it. But what these guys do, um, and it's happened to me on numerous occasions, what these guys do, they go hanging around boxing gyms and that, um, and um, they listen to top trainers. They, you know, they try to get in a top gym and it's a top trainer, you know? Guys training champions and things, and or listen to they listen to top trainers talking together and that. So the infiltrator 
hangs around listening to people saying quotes and things like that and just just watches little things so what i said was like you could stick a fucking parrot in a cage in a gym listening to all the top fighters all the top trainers all having conversations together so in the end that parrot will start coming out with quotes and words of wisdom and things like that but you know like the infiltrator but you wouldn't trust a fucker to plan your tactics and you wouldn't trust a parrot in the fucking corner. There we go, straight from the horse's mouth, one of the more popular quotes we've had, that Billy. Um, M. Corley sends in a, a question related to trainers. Which trainers, past and present, does Billy rate and why? I think rather than tell you who he admires, Billy might tell you that he likes to go up against them. That's just me guessing. Well... Look, there's, 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 been, there's been plenty of... Look, I've been watching boxing since I was a boy and I've always liked reading. So, uh, and I've, uh, so I'd read books what was written by trainers. Um, I'd read the books. I'd studied, I'd studied the trainers, um, watched the fights, you know, watching the fights. They've been in and all that lot. Um, there's been loads of great trainers in all different eras and there's quite a lot what I admire, you know what I mean? I don't think I ever really took any of their methods, to be honest with you. Oh, some of them, obviously, like obvious methods, you know what I mean? But, um, yeah, there's quite, there's quite a lot of trainers who I admire. I've met all the top trainers. You know, the top trainers have all changed, changed, changed in my gym. I've been, against, I've been against top trainers and all things like that. But, so, yeah, I'd, 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 I'd always study who the trainer was going to be who was in the opposite corner to me. I'd, I'd, I'd study him because I'd be stupid not to, you know what I mean? And, um, but, you know, I was, I was my own man. Um, I didn't steal many things from other people. Um, you just need to get experience. Um, I've got my own methods and my, my thing is, I loved, the better the trainer, the more famous the trainer was, and the better he was, the more I wanted to go against him. Because yeah. it's the same thing with me as like being a fighter. I wanted to go against the best trainer, you know, um, the best cornerman and that. So I look at it a little bit different, do you know what I mean? But yeah, yeah there's, there's plenty of trainers I admire. There's, there's, there's been plenty of great trainers over the generations and that, you know, and um, I've, I've studied all of them. I think he, maybe in a future episode, somewhere down the line, we might talk about the trainers who you spent time with and spent, spent time I've, in your gym. I've spent a lot of time with a lot of a lot of great trainers. Not, you know? not going into details now because it'll. Well, like I, mean, I, I said, we'll go into it more. But you spent a week in Finland with Angelo Dundee. You've had Manny Stewart in for 10 days. You've Freddie, had Freddie Roach, Freddie Roach all in your gym. Everybody. I've been. Oh. It's, count, it's countless, you know what I mean? And um, these loads of trainers with real respect. Yeah. Loads of trainers with real respect. Um, but I, I can't. I can't say specific, whatever. Uh, but, uh, but, but I'd be a fool to not so, to not know that somebody's good in the other corner. Yeah. You know what I mean? But funnily enough, you know, sometimes if it's a good, if it's a great trainer in the corner, a really experienced trainer, it's sometimes better because you know because you all know the same things. All the, there's no such thing as the best trainer in the world. because all the top trainers all know the same thing because some things are facts. They just they're absolute facts. Yeah. You know what I mean? So when, so when you're going against a top trainer, 
you can predict what he's going to do. Sometimes more than some some guy who just gets lucky and got a good fighter. Some, you know, he might not know what the fuck he's doing, but he's got a good fighter and he's dangerous. So he might, you don't, you, you, you maybe sometimes don't know what to expect. Are you with me? So sometimes that's a bit more precarious, you know. But I prefer to go against good trainers. Um, for the kudos. Mike Neal says, um, how would you split up a training camp? Um, for example, Ricky Atten at world level, how would the 10 weeks be split uh, between getting fit, working, uh, sparring and then working on tactics? And he also asked, would you alter, would that be the same for a novice pro? But I think in another episode we said that novice pros should just be in the gym every day treating it like a job, shouldn't they really? Well, absolutely, of course they should do. Um, unless when you're, when, you're, when you're at the top and you're doing 12 rounders and you're fighting people at world level, you need to recuperate. You yeah. need to recuperate. You need a little bit of time out. You don't need like you don't like you don't you shouldn't do what Ricky Hatton did. Do you know what I mean? Ricky Hatton only got away with that because he was so special. But that's why his career was relatively short. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but the last thing I want in a fight is longevity. But um, so for someone like Carl, say or Ricky or someone who's at world level, how long would your training camp have been? How long of that would have been fitness? How long of that would have been working on fight-specific stuff? Well, m most most of the fighters, the vast majority of my fighters, it didn't take much when you got a date to get a fit because they they took they took it on like a job. I obviously had others others who didn't. You know what I mean? Now then it's then it's a lot worse. Then it takes a lot longer. For example, I'll use Ricky because he's the most extreme. It would take me. When he, when he was first when he was first coming up, it took me nothing to get ready for a fight because he was always in the gym because he was always so busy. So it took nothing. He was fighting all the time. You remember? But um, when it got when it got later on, obviously the gaps have to be bigger because the fights are harder. And um, with Ricky, he didn't used to do anything with me basically. For the, it took it, it, it Ricky twelve weeks to get ready for the title fight. Because he was so fat, do you know what I mean? And so fucked up. Kerry Case, all, 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 the, all, the, all the first few weeks was with Kerry Case, was, was with Kerry Case weight management, do you know what I mean? And Because um, he wasn't fit enough to start working with me on the body belt. So he took, he took like 12 weeks when he was at the top of his game. Um, but like I said, the others, most of the guys who you remember from Champs Camp and that, and well, most of my guys, um, six to eight, six to eight weeks. That's all it would take, and um, did start working with me. They just ease yourself into it at first. They just ease yourself into it first. Then they'd get on the body belt. Um, I'd, I'd start off. I'd start off with maybe four rounds. Then I'd just build it up till I got to the twelve. But in Ricky's case, it was fifteen. And and some just one of a little quick quick little point something people might not know about you. None of your lads ever sparred more than eight, did he? You used to take them to 12 on the body belt, That's but right. you didn't like anyone doing eight round, more than eight rounds sparring. No, no because I, I learned from my mistakes and I made a million when I was a fighter. I was like what's known as a sparaholic. I wasn't interested in the other parts of training, but I learned from my mistakes, I learned how you can spar too much. The hardest thing, the hardest thing, the hardest thing to do is to get a fighter because you've got to push yourself to your limits. You've got to push yourself well over your limits. 
for your body to repair itself and get fitter. And to, to get fit enough to get fitter, you've got to have the rest as well. Um, the hardest thing to do is to get to the fight injury-free. Injury-free, it's hard. I've heard loads of trainers say that you can never get a fighter to, 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 to his peak and he's going to be injury-free. They always say he's always going to have niggles. No, he fucking isn't. If you do it right and he's not got on an injury was always there, of course you can. You've got to tread, you've got to tread really carefully. So um, the most time you're going to get injured is either maybe kind of working on the weights, um, which is necessary, um, or in sparring. So that's the hardest thing to get their injury free. So I didn't want them to, to, to do that. You've got to spar, of course you've got to spar, you know what I mean? You've got to spar hard and you've got to spar, you know, and some days not so hard. Um, so sparring is absolutely necessary. But I didn't see the point. Um, I, used to, I used to take my, I, I said, let me spar, yeah. If they're doing a 12 rounder, they'd always finish, never, they'd never do more than eight. Never do more than eight. Yeah. Um, then, I, then I'd jump in on the body belt. And trust me, when you're on the body belt, you can, you can make them work harder than you would even inspiring. Yeah. And I know, I know, and then I, I also, it helped me as well, because I knew what they'd got. And um, that's how I used to do it. They never, never sparred more than eight rounds. Yeah. Now we got a question for, from Jamie Boyle, Billy. Um, I believe he writes books about Paul Sykes. Firstly, just before you say whether you ever came across Paul Sykes, just tell people what weight you used to box at. Um, I, I turned pro welterweight. There was no, there was no light middleweight at first. Then the light middleweight division come out, so I moved up to light middleweight. I didn't have to diet or or, or anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was weighing on the on the day. I don't know what the fuck I fought on middleweight for. I think I just did that because it's the most glamorous division, and a lot of my heroes was um, middleweights and that. So I purposely put weight on. I had a couple of fights. Probably maybe about three middleweight, but I shouldn't have done it. But um, yeah. So when uh, Paul Sykes, the notorious Wakefield heavyweight, walks in looking for sparring, your hand went up straight away. Obviously. It, well, we had the same manager, to be honest with you, and I heard a lot about Paul Sykes. Um, had, had he swam across the Straits of Malay? Yeah, he's already done that by then. <laughs> But I didn't know that. But I mean, I obviously read his book and that, you know what I mean? I didn't know that, but I'd seen the documentaries. But I just uh, knew from word of mouth what kind of character he was. So he comes down to spar with Phil Martin. And I want to spar with anybody who comes into the gym, you know what I mean? And um, Phil, didn't, Phil didn't, want to, didn't want to spar with him. I don't, maybe he thought he might have fought him one day. I, I don't know. Um, but so I'd spar with anybody. I loved it. That's the only part of training I liked. So um, yeah, I sparred with Paul. He was a surprisingly good boxer. He was a big guy. I'd only heard a lot about him. He'd just come out of prison, again. Okay. And um, but he he was fit. He was fit and strong. He looked he looked fit in that you know. And um, but he was he was a good boxer. Clever, smart, traditional. You know what I mean? But um, I could, I was slipping and sliding because obviously I'm a lot quicker than him and that, you know. I'd have been about, I'd have been about like middle then or something like that. Yeah. So I, I could do that. And, uh, 
So I couldn't believe all, all the things what I heard about him. I couldn't believe what he was like because he pulls me after we spar. So I ended up sparring with him twice. He come down again and spar with him. And um, having a conversation, so he, he wanted to talk to me. And he was being really, really praising me and that and going to tell me how good I was and that. Really nice and that. And sounded really intelligent, really intelligent. I know since, like, he's well, very well read. Do you know what I mean? He's read, he's read everything, all the classics, and he's read all these things. I like to read myself, you know. Well, I used to in them days. And um, I was shocked at this guy, the way, how polite he was and how... Eloquent he was and that, you know what I mean? And uh, I was quite, I was quite shocked. I expected some big rough fucking bruiser and that, some rough ass fucker. That's not what it was like at all. But um, he was great with me, yeah. you know what I mean? But you could tell as you was talking to him that a bit further back in his mind, he was crazy as fuck. <laughs> so, you know, he's the, he's the person you wouldn't like to cross. You, you knew that. You knew that by talking to him. Yeah. Even, and he was being nice to me. But you knew that by talking to him, and don't he, fuck around with this guy. He didn't invite you out for a night in Wakefield. I'd have run a fucking mile if he invited <laughs> me out, because I'm sure that once he's had a couple of pints, someone's getting banjoed, and it wasn't going to be me. <laughs> so I just politely said, Paul, no, I'm not going out tonight. Well, there you go, Jamie. Uh, he did meet Paul Sykes. And that's episode three done and dusted. So um, keep your questions coming in, keep your comments coming in. We're getting quite popular now, so keep sharing it around and reviewing us. Um, email is preacherspod at gmail.com, forgot then. Um, Twitter is at preacherspod, and that seems to be getting bigger all the time. Um, we'll, the video is on the VIP YouTube channel, and Boxing Social are going to show it as well, so that should open us up to plenty more people. And thanks for listening, we'll see you on episode four.